Welcome to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, exploring leadership in nursing through inspiring conversations. Today's episode is sponsored by AACN's award-winning journal, AACN Advanced Critical Care, with information available at aacn.org forward slash ACC journal. Now here's your host, AACN's Chief Clinical Officer, Connie Barden. Well, hi, this is Connie Barden. It's great to be here today. And today I'm going to talk with Dr. Carol Goodyear, who's a manager for practice excellence programs at AACN, the American Association of Critical Care Nurses. Welcome, Carol. Thank you, Connie, for having me. Glad to be here. Glad you're here. And I love the topic we're talking about today, which is that of after action reviews. And, you know, as I was thinking about it, it occurred to me that some people might not even be familiar with that term. Um, So, Shall we start with just a quick overview of what an after-action review is and maybe an example of two or of when you might use one? Oh, absolutely. So after-action reviews is really a tool to reflect back on an event in order to learn from it and move us forward and translate some of that learning into different actions that you can take for the future. The meeting, and it is a meeting, the after-action review is bringing really the right people together in that meeting, using questions to elicitate answers that lead to learning, while ensuring that absolutely every single participant in this event has a voice. So the actions that are at the end or the outcome of this event are reviewed and prioritized for further um, improvement going forward and or um, can be prioritized for actions that can be taken immediately. the fun fact about action after action reviews were they, they were originally created and developed by military to review and evaluate military missions. And um, they really looked at whether they were success missions or failure missions, they looked at both. So with the use in our healthcare system, it's a tool that can be used for organizational learning, which is this kind of big word, but very important to organizations that we continue to learn. And if we don't continue to learn, then we don't thrive, right? It's really um, this essential learning through experience is what I'm talking about. So in order for an organization to be successful, a hospital to be successful, the teams within that hospital have to continuously learn and grow from their experiences by looking back and assessing their performance. So again, the learning, which is the outcome of of this review, can help improve and grow the organization as a whole. You know, as a leader, whether you're a director, nurse manager, charge nurse, or even a direct care nurse, you would want to use this as a learning opportunity to improve. So one common example of when to use, maybe um, after action reviews, could be our organization's disaster response. So say you had a mass casualty event at the local hospital and you received word of incoming patients, you know, everybody would say, well, let's get out our disaster plan, right? We all have that disaster plan and set up that response time for that disaster. After the response has died down, you can then use the after action review to assess the performance of of the disaster response as a whole or you can go into component parts of that response. For instance, 
um, maybe you would just want to assess the command center or assess the OR response, um, assessing the emergency department processes and the, the response that they had. I really like doing the component parts because it gives voice to the local nurses and other healthcare providers that ensures responsibility and ownership of actions and decisions that move them forward for future disaster events. It's interesting, Carol, because I have to tell you that what first came to mind for me is that you would do one of these things when something went wrong, but that's not what I'm hearing you say. It doesn't necessarily mean something bad happened. Absolutely not. In fact, you should do this in any kind of event, even when something went great, when everything went great. Um, and Connie, as you and I both know, not everything goes great all the time, right? There's always going to be a little bit of hiccups here and there, and you still want to learn from those. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, I think in a way, it also sounds like some other terms that folks may be familiar with, like critical incident debrief or root cause analysis. Are they mm -hmm. all the same thing or are there some important differences really between those things? Yeah, I think there are some important differences and then there's some similarities as well. Critical incident debriefs are really critical incident stress debriefs. We kind of leave out the word stress sometimes on that. And those are really focused on the individual's emotional response after experience um, an event, generally a traumatic event. This type of event um, that when you do these debriefs really allows individuals to process and reflect on their own reactions to the event. Where um, critical incidents, stress debriefs are individually focused Obviously, the after action review are really focused on the organization or team learning, right? Sometimes there are emotional reactions brought forward during a meeting when you're having an after action event. And if that's the case, then you, you as a facilitator should immediately assess to, as to whether you should stop and shift focus right then to do some stress debriefing. And I also have heard, Connie, and I think probably you have too, of debriefing incidents for individual patients for the goal of the team learning. So these often occur right after an event and serve to assess and learn about the process, about what happened with the patient, what were the treatment um, options, what, what options did they take, all those kinds of things. Um, and as an example, we had a team of, of nurses in our CSI Academy that instituted a debriefing after hemorrhagic events involving mothers who had just delivered. So they put into place a protocol in collaboration with their physician partners that would be used during those situations. And a part of their assessment, they established a debrief that was immediately conducted after the patient was stabilized. So the goal for the, that team at that point was to learn from their experience in instituting the protocol and more importantly, what they needed to change. So you do have those kind of um, events as well. And again, they're a little bit more focused, singular focused events. Um, I, I'm glad you brought up root cause analysis because obviously in the quality improvement world, this is one of the, the biggest tools that is used and I'm a big quality improvement specialist person. So it is a tool to use when you wanna get at the core of an issue or a root cause of a problem. So this is when you would use it for something that is not quite right or didn't happen the way you wanted it to happen. It is a problem either with a patient event, and generally we use it with patient events, 
but you also can use it within the hospital system for a variety of other reasons. Um, generally, again, it's used specifically um, with singular kind of things. It might be on a more global scale, just depends. I, I think of one, one time on root cause analysis, we had like seven collapses in, in one month. And so we put them all together and really did a root cause analysis on all those seven. So it can be more than singular. But contrasted to after action reviews, the after action review is really focused on the learning from an event. And generally that learning may be naturally occurring, occurring in the environment. And it's a team approach looking at a whole set of responses to the event that you're talking about. It sounds almost like this could be a perfect tool to set up as a routine, say even for code blues. Uh, would it be useful for that type of thing? Doesn't mean whether the patient survived, patient didn't, things went perfectly, whatever. Is that another, not the organizational disaster example, but is that a more commonplace example that this would be useful for? I think it depends on what exactly. And I, you know, you know, when you get down to it, words are words, right? So a review is always good. So you can call it whatever you want to, right? Having that singular um, debrief after a code blue absolutely is, is a good thing to do. And I would just call that a debrief, honestly. Um, and then you could do as a whole, a little bit broader expansion of that and look at a situation where like maybe a code blue went off in the hallway of whatever. And you, so you looked at the whole response of, did everybody get there? Was there a bed for this person to go to at the end? You know, all those kinds of things that you can look at the whole situation and the whole process around that cold blue. And in that case, that might be more of that after action review where you're really assessing all the performance of what happened and the sequence of what happened. That makes perfect sense. And, and I want to um, ask you one thing that is probably on everybody's mind when you talk about doing any of these things, but specific to after action reviews, are there any legal ramifications? You get people together, you write stuff down, you document things. Is this, does this become protected information like some of the QI work or what do you know about that? Well, it's protected information if you have specific patient information in there. Um, generally in after action reviews, you don't. It's more about team's response to whatever the event is. Um, now, debriefs are different. You know, when you're doing singular debriefs, that, that's a different story. Um, but after action reviews, no, there's really generally not an issue. That makes sense. I want to back up to something you mentioned before about you could have some high emotion during these things. And um, who would you say is a typical team? Like, who would you invite to this thing? So we can set the, the mental image of who's all sitting in the room. And then let's talk about when emotions sort of get involved and what the leader might, what, what's in their bag of tricks for handling that if that starts to occur. Yeah, sure. So who's involved? You know, the true essence of a good after action review is that it includes key people that were there at the specific event or the incident and in that area. So for example, if, if I was going to, go down the line of COVID response. If you did a COVID response after action review, you may include just the administration viewpoint about how the command center worked, 
the strategy and the actions that they took. It might be the whole department of critical care, which had involved the director and all the managers of the critical care. How did they react to that COVID? And you know, what were their actions related to getting more beds on and more ICUs up and staffing and all those kinds of things? Or it could be just one ICU that was affected by the COVID response the most. You know, and that could be led by the manager, the unit council chair, and would involve the key stakeholders who were right in the midst of making the decisions and taking the actions during that COVID response. So it's important to include the people at the point of contact. In other words, the people who were heavily involved in that event response. And it's important to give these key stakeholders a voice to what happened and then decide on what should be done differently for the future. So that's kind of who you involve. You wanna just make sure that you have the voice at that we're right there, you know, experiencing yes. this disaster or experiencing, you know, whatever it is that they experience. Absolutely. And, and depending on what you're studying, so to speak, that could be a mixed bag of folks, folks who work together every day or folks who sometimes their paths don't cross. So the dynamic, I imagine, could get testy sometimes. Um, yes. Can you think of any time when you sort of had to turn one around, like, things were getting edgy or something. And if you were leading it or if you watched a leader, how they manage that, any uh, examples of that? Sure, yes. Sometimes emotions absolutely get, get tangled up into the conversation. Um, and if it does, you should stop and address the emotion and address the cause. So as possible, you need to relate it back to a commitment to ground rules. And I'm into doing ground rules when you first set up any kind of a meeting, which is really about asking people, how is it that we wanna act during this meeting? Well, we wanna make sure we have open communication. We wanna make sure everybody has a voice. We wanna make sure that people trust and know that whatever they say, that there's not gonna be retaliation. Some of the typical ground rules in this one is, you know, not to take things personally, just keep to the facts. That's a key one. Keep to the facts. And, you know, state in the way that it's depersonalized and state in a way that is just factual if you can. So if you have that up front, you can absolutely refer back to those ground rules. You know, let's let's go back to our ground rules. What, you know, what did we commit to during, during this meeting? Um, so one example I have was related to someone who um, reacted to a fact that was said about the situation that we were discussing. And the person who reacted to it took it, took it personally and started to defend themselves and was suggesting why they could not personally respond to that situation. So it was a situation where a respiratory therapist had to come at a certain time. And so it was the respiratory therapist who were, was reacting to it. It happened to be the respiratory therapist that, you know, really didn't show up when they were supposed to show up. So um, I, that person felt pretty embarrassed. Uh, I don't blame them. You know, they felt embarrassed about this. But we were able to turn this around. And by first recognizing, again, our ground rules um, and that we were presenting, you know, the facts and then what was interesting is that the whole group really kind of surrounded this respiratory therapist in a really good way. 
So, so tell us more about what happened to you. What was your story? Why, you know, why, why did you not show up? What happened? You know, so they got pulled off into part of the event in another place and couldn't show up. So that was important pieces of information because again, that, that those were facts about why the respiratory therapist didn't show up. And it was good information for the overall response of that event that was happening in that hospital at the time. You know, this respiratory therapist got pulled away, they were supposed to come here, et cetera, et cetera. So it all turned out really great. And the person who reacted ended up feeling very validated that the whole group brought forward the facts for them and helped them, you know, work through all of that. Um, I think that this really brings to light the importance of the whole group owning the process and owning the ground rules. And I, you know, honestly, as a facilitator, this is a win-win when this happens. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm getting anxious just hearing about that that uh, encounter that you described for us. And you know, I've read some of the things that you've written on this. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, what I what I've read is that essentially anyone could lead one. So it could be a direct care nurse. It could be a physician. Could be uh, you know the unit leader. It's not necessarily a certain role, but it does sound like the person needs to understand what it is they're doing and, and where they're going. So what are your thoughts about the best leader for a certain situation and who typically leads these types of reviews? It's typically a facilitator who has done facilitation and you can learn the process pretty quickly. You really need to understand what the competencies are around what a good facilitator is, right? So the competency of listening, of having clear communication, of focusing the group on getting to what they're supposed to be doing and getting to action at the end, especially for this one. I think that's a key thing. And if you're not used to doing that, you know, grab yourself a mentor. Get a mentor in facilitation and, you know, learn all you can about the overall science of good facilitation. I think one of the key areas is establishing that safe environment for sharing, which is can be a difficult thing to do. So that's one of the key competencies of a, facilit a good facilitator is establishing that this is a safe place for everybody to, to share what they need to share. The other key piece that's really kind of hard to do as a facilitator is maintaining objectivity and being unbiased. That's, a that's really a tough one, tough one to do. And you have to just maintain control of, of your own emotions in the moment, right? Um, and making sure that everybody feels comfortable and safe to continue to speak up. One of the other competencies I think is, is a key one is asking questions, but asking the right questions at the right time. And that's also, that's, I think that that competency to me is probably one that takes a lot of practice. Yeah, you're just reminding us that facilitators are human too. So uh, yes, it's a challenge for everyone. You know, I don't want to miss this part because you, you have a great blog on the AACN website about this. You've also written in nursing management recently and so forth. But you've pointed out four very specific questions that are like the foundation for an mm -hmm. after action review. You want to talk about those a little bit and um, why they're so important to this process? And I like that there's only four but you're going to ask more questions than four, right? When you get into it, um, a good facilitator asks more questions than what's right in front of them. 
So if we think through the, an example, I'm gonna use the example of COVID again. So the COVID response, um, and maybe it's just the critical care division really reviewing the COVID response after a surge. So here are the four questions. The first two relate to each other. What was planned and expected? What really happened? So again, those two tie together. If we use our example, the COVID surge is much different than a singular disaster event, right? You know, the COVID surge lasted for a very long time. So the first question would probably be answered with, and I'll ask the first question again, what was planned and expected? Well, what was planned and expected was our disaster plan. Here's our disaster plan. Here it is right here. And we went with it. Here's what we did during the disaster. And yes, we did expect patients, but we didn't expect the patients to just keep on coming. So what really happened? The patients just kept on coming, right? So that's just one little snippet of, of what an answer could be. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of answers to these two questions together, right? The third question is what went well and why? And it's the why piece of the question that obviously is the most important. The answers here is what you want to keep for the next pandemic response, or it may be something you want to keep right now. So perhaps it's a different way of communicating about patient flow because this communication that you did about patient flow and the COVID surge was great, was awesome. Why not keep it now? And so your action is you're just gonna keep on doing that same communication about patient flow because it decreased you know, workload, it improved efficiency, all the good things about communication. And really everybody gets on the same page when they use this certain communication style or, or whatever it is that that these people did. So I think then the last one is probably where you get a little bit more uncomfortable with and maybe when some of the emotions come up and that is what would you do different and how? So now we're looking at, ooh, oh, maybe what did we do wrong? But you know, we wanna phrase it in a little bit more positive. What, what would you do different for the next time and then how would, how would that look like? Again, how is the most important piece of information in this question? And it just may be the question you spend the most time on. However, I would caution about that. I'm spending too much time on this because you want to make sure you're capturing all the good things that went well. And I think I said now as, as a, a good facilitator, you will have questions in the moment to ask along the way to help pull out more information from the people and then help pull out more voices after not hearing from everyone. And I, I wanna back up a moment and talk about the what went well. This is not necessarily part of an after action review, but I think it's an important piece that you could add as a leader. And that is you wanna celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. What went well, right? So you wanna make sure that you're capturing those things and, and really, communicating them to everybody else. You know, this is what went well, we're gonna celebrate what happened with us. The other key piece to this is that, I think this is where people recognize unintended consequences that are also positive. I think this will bubble up through the whole conversation. And I think these are important to also capture, especially the really positive ones. So what I have heard out in the community about COVID and what COVID has done and the surge and, and how, you know, 
very difficult it has been and challenging. And at the same time, I've heard that teams have really come together as a team and they're stronger than ever. And so this is kind of this unintended consequences of a really, you know, not so good thing, you know, that we have to go through this surge, but our team is so much stronger. So I think things like this is gonna come out in these kind of reviews. And so you have to capture those and really celebrate them and really pull them forward and continue this team kind of celebration and team building even further because it's only a good thing, right? And I think nurses, especially right now, you know, need that support in, in their team. So this is why you do want to recognize this and make sure that you're focusing on it. I love that. And I'm with you. I love the simplicity of the four foundational questions, which you've outlined so well, and then others sort of PRN as needed as the conversation unfolds. You know, I, like most of us here at ASN, we see the world a lot through healthy work environment and the standards that we have. And as I'm listening to you, I'm hearing almost every element of the healthy work environment standards, which is absolutely skilled communication. When we talk about what went well, we're talking about meaningful recognition of our peers, et cetera. It takes an authentic leader to do something like this. And we're coming together to collaborate, you know, all in the name of learning, as you outlined. It's, it's really interesting um, for that. And I, I know we're coming up on time, but there's so many other things I want to ask you. What I want to ask you is, I know you've emphasized creating this space for open and honest communication, no retaliation, that type of thing. In your vast experience doing this thing and facilitating many types of conversations, what would you say are your top two tips for creating that kind of environment for teams? Like, what would your advice be on that? Oh, that's a great question, Connie. Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, I think you have to have a foundation. Oh, I'm going to go back to healthy work environments, right? Truly open communication and feeling safe to speak up has everything to do with how healthy of a workplace you had before the event, right? True communication where everybody feels safe starts with trust. And it's leaders that can role model this, align this philosophy with everyday actions and strategy and support all nurses and other healthcare professionals to have a voice. So it's about being the authentic you, right? That's the biggest tip I have. Be the most authentic self you can be as a leader. Be transparent and be truthful. That's a very key thing. And then, yes, I am going to go back to ground rules again because that is a really great thing to use with any meeting that's going to be a little bit, you know, more challenging than other meetings maybe. But relying on those ground rules is a key thing. And if everybody commits to it, you also want to have them commit to holding each other accountable during the meeting, you know, to call it out if it's not happening or to even call it out if it is happening. Hey, that was, that was really good. So you want to be positive um, as well as making sure that you're sticking to the ground rules so everybody feels safe within that group discussion. Carol, I just love this concept, uh, unit and organizational learning, and it, it sounds so great, but I imagine there are a lot of places that don't have these kinds of reviews in place. So what would be your advice if you think this is a great idea and you'd like to get it started in your unit or your organization? How would someone begin this conversation to try and have these types of sessions uh, started in their location? Yeah, I think the key thing is um, to learn more about it, obviously. 
and um, reach out to somebody who has done it and find out you know, their experiences. And then it depends on your organization. So your organization might have um, an organizational development um, department and you could tap into them. I'm sure the organizational development department knows more about after action reviews than maybe us leaders in nursing. If you don't have one, and generally not everybody does, right? It's always those big academic medical centers that are gonna have more of those um, resources. If you don't have one, it is, it is you learning about it. And then I always suggest try it out. Try, you know, get a mentor, get somebody in that you know that would do, do it with you and try it out locally. So try it out in your unit first, just to see how it flows, how it works. And obviously you don't want to try it on something that was a big event that was going to, you know, really create more havoc, but choose a smaller event that happened in and really trial it through and see where it goes for yourself. And then, then you can snowball it if you will, to other places, other places in your hospital or talk to your CNO um, about putting it into place for certain kinds of things. That sounds great. And one thing I loved about both your blog, which I already mentioned, and, and the article you wrote, Nurse Management, is it's kind of a primer on how to, you know, yeah. it's well written, it's very simple. And the four questions that are the foundation for this are outlined there. So that would be a place to start. And I also mm-hmm. like, so try it on something that's a bit lower stakes get your feet under you and, and go from there. Really great Mm -hmm. advice. Thanks. Yeah, sure. Beautiful. I would feel very safe being in a a group that you were leading, Carol, you're, you're a pro (laughs) at this kind of stuff. And I think we're just about at time. So let me just give you open mic. Is there anything else maybe that we haven't touched on, haven't covered that you want to be sure and add in before we wrap up? One of the things that I have learned by, by doing these, but, and by doing any other, kind of meetings as well with groups, is that listening is really the key to success. And I, I'm not sure that I emphasize that piece. It's it's around your competence of listening and how you really actively listen and what does that really mean. So in any situation and definitely in after action reviews, you want to listen for emotions, you want to listen for silence for sure. And then you have to really listen for all the themes that come together and make sure that you're capturing that. Because you as the facilitator in this kind of situation, you need to be able to pull the group together, focus the group, and you can only do that if you're listening to them, right? And you need to make sure that you're leading that forward movement in that moment as well. Dr. Carol Goodyear, I could talk to you all day on this, but uh, unfortunately, I think we're at time. I can't thank you enough for spending time with us and sharing your expertise. You're obviously a very expert, uh, authentic leader and um, who better to talk to us about after action reviews than someone like you. So thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you so much, Connie, for having me. You know, I would do anything for AECN and will do so until my dying day, whenever that is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope it's a long time away. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so too. Thank you for listening to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, proudly sponsored by AACN's award-winning journal, AACN Advanced Critical Care, with information available at aacn.org forward slash ACC journal. We welcome your thoughts on this episode or ideas for future topics. 
feel free to email us anytime at podcasts at aacn.org. 